Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to the Shot Caller podcast with Casey Diaz and Joel Needler. You can find us online at uh, Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, uh, The Shot Caller Book on Instagram, and on Twitter at the shot caller bk that's at the shot caller bk you can also find us at kcds.net and send an email to info at kcds.net that's info at kcds.net welcome to the shot caller podcast this is your host casey diaz along with his sidekick joe needler uh welcome to the show we have a fun show man um how did you get that name, that that white boy Roy name? Uh, for those of you that are out there and you're you're you know you're tuning in, you probably heard this nickname just bouncing around from uh, segment to segment. How did you get that name, dude? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I'll be your first interview on the show today. Uh, well, it came from a young African American guy I was working with at a restaurant in Tyler, Texas, at at the end of the '90s, like '90 '99 somewhere in there. And I was the manager and, and he was, anyway, he was there, but he, he said, you're one of the more patient people I've met. I'm going to call you white boy Roy. So I took that as a compliment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a frightening name to start off with. Is it? I wouldn't go near you. I mean, if I knew that white boy Roy was in the house. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I want to walk into that house is what I'm saying. Yeah. You might want you to know, be careful. Yeah. You might want to be careful. But thank you guys for uh, joining us today. We have a special guest by the name of Tanya Kraft. You might uh, remember uh, her story. Uh, it captivated a nation. Uh, just a very powerful story that she has. And we're going to be hearing from her um, just in a bit. Uh, but while I have your attention here in the beginning, I want to make sure that you tune in to, uh, and subscribe to the Shock Holler podcast. Um, we're on every major platform right now, iHeartRadio, Apple, you name it, we're there, Anchor, um, we are there. And we want to make sure that you uh, body slam the like button, you know, uh, kick the subscribe button, make sure that you are part of the family, of the Shot Caller family, and um, we want to hear from you. Also, um, you know, we welcome your support, um, your financial support, whether you want to donate. Uh, also, when you go in, in the uh, podcast on our uh, webpage, there's a, uh, a, a little click uh, that you just need to do and uh, it'll give you, it'll walk you through uh, the three ways that you can support this program. Uh, many of you uh, love it. Uh, I know that you, I, I am so grateful, number one, for the many emails uh, and uh, all the uh, comments that I see on, um, on social media. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. And uh, I, I love the, the funnies. I love the. I love how you you sit in your car or wherever you're at, and something a line is said, and somebody will post it on social media, and uh, you know with all the emojis. I think it's hilarious, and I'm so glad that you're part of us. Um, but you know, uh, how how's your day, uh, Joe? How's it going over there, man? 
Hey, man, we're here in Tennessee, uh, middle Tennessee. Uh, Tanya is over there in eastern Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing fine. It's actually a beautiful day. Uh, it's still been kind of cool, the weather. Um, so not terribly hot just yet. We're still on lockdown. Some some businesses are opening up uh, here and there, but not fully. And, you know, going a little stir crazy, I have to admit, like a lot of families. Yeah. But But we're doing fine. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, man. I was at the beach uh, last night, twelve thirty. Yeah, I guess yeah. uh, you know that that makes it the morning, right? Twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have my kids, man, and uh, they're like, "Dad, we just need to go out to the beach." <laughs> and I, and, well, we ended up, you know, it's Mother's Day. Uh, Tanya, happy Mother's Day. Happy uh, Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, we were there, and and we went to visit my mom. She went to my aunt's house, who still lives in South Central Los Angeles. And uh, my kids, uh, you know, they don't know anything beyond Burbank. So, you know, I took them over there and um, had a good time, had a, uh, just a lot of laughter. And then from there, we went to the beach and, and it was great, man. Uh, just to be on, on the sand, you know, uh, felt really good. And it was, it was nice and breezy and it, just a great time. But yeah, it's time to open the doors, man. I, like, I'm, I'm done with this quarantine thing uh you know i need i'm okay i'm just saying i'm okay but the public at large wants to uh open the gates i think you know um that's just yeah, my no, view. i think the debates are starting to get heated uh because yeah. of this, you know a lot of businesses are suffering and families are suffering and on the other hand there is a public health crisis but um yeah i can feel feel some of that pressure so well, i'm glad to hear you guys got to get out of the house and Governor Newsom didn't send anybody to come arrest you while you were on the beach. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we have one of those governors over here. Uh, you know, <laughs> how does he get a haircut? I want to know how he got a haircut. April, uh, March. How, how did he, this guy still looks like a poster cover? And, and while we're over here, you know, uh, doing what we need to do to to look decent, you know. Yeah. But that's a different story, folks. Uh, I'm not happy with our governor. Yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, me, yeah. Uh, along with a lot of uh, Californians about now. Well, you know, the, the, the thing is that small business, really, their survival rate is three months. That's basically yeah, yeah. on a crisis. They only have prepared for three months to survive. And now we're, you know, it's, it, we want to go back to work. It's, yeah. Uh, um, largely, uh, I think Americans want to go back to work and, and we're kind of done with this thing. But with no well, further ado, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear this story. Um, I'm excited for you to hear the story. This is one of those epic stories that you actually hope never happens to you. But if it happened to someone who could fight their way through it, it was certainly Tanya Craft. And, you know, for me, this is kind of fun because I got to work in publishing with both you guys, with you, Casey, and publishing your book. Uh, what a great story. I got to travel with you and, and do some media. That was really fun. And, and here we are doing a podcast. And then Tanya, I met before I met you, Tanya, that's quite a story in itself, but uh, <laughs> that was about a decade ago, but you know, here she is now. It's, it's amazing to see where she was and where she is now. So let's just introduce attorney Tanya Kraft from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tanya, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day again, by the way. Oh, thank you. It was a good wonderful. day. Yes. Yep. 
I, I, I cook dinner, but that's what I want to do. So it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Tanya's got a book called Accused, subtitle, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive. Um, the word truth kind of became a battle cry for Tanya in her ordeal. I'll set it up just a little bit, Tanya, but if what I want to do is just walk our listeners through your story. Uh, and I'm really excited about the ending and how you've responded to everything that's happened to you. But in a nutshell, uh, yeah, I, well, I don't know if I should. Maybe we should just ask uh, where you grew up and, and start from there. So, oh, so, okay. So, well, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I grew up here, um, lived here my whole life. And Chattanooga is... Um, essentially on the Georgia line. So the, Chatt the, so the Chattanooga area and the North Georgia, it's kind of like one community, even though it's two separate, you know, yeah. states. So, so I grew up in Chattanooga. Um, I went to high school here. I went to college. Well, I got my um, undergrad at UTC and I got my graduate degree at UTC. Um, and I'd stopped there and didn't think I was going to go any further, but one day I did go to law school. So yeah. So I pretty much lived here my whole life. Okay. So you're a native. Awesome. Uh, so tell us, um, you became a kindergarten teacher in, is it Ringgold or? It was Chickamauga, Georgia. Chickamauga. Okay. So just over the border there. Uh, I know the book and I actually, you know, been listening to the book on audio again in recent, recent weeks. But tell us a little bit about when your life began to change. Uh, you went through some things that brought you to a courtroom uh, that you didn't expect at all. Uh, so tell us, what was that day like when uh, someone showed up on your doorstep? Oh, wow. Okay. So I had, um, I, I had two children, a little boy and a little girl, and their father and I divorced. And so at that point, um, I had been a teacher. I had been a, um, like a, like a literacy individual for UTC. I had done different things, but now that I was single, I really needed something with insurance and things. So I had found a job in Chickamauga, Georgia, teaching kindergarten. Yeah. And again, it's the same mall and the same community, but it's a little, you know, a little further out. It's, it's, it's rural. It's, you, you drive to this community and you see one red light. You see, it's in the, the Chickamauga battlefield. It's this nostalgic, quaint, wonderful place. Yeah. And I became a kindergarten teacher there. And so I wasn't living there at that point. I was, I was living in Chattanooga with the kids. And so the first year that I taught kindergarten there, one of my students, their parents were um, contractors. And I kind of thought this is a really wonderful place to raise my kids. Like this is going to be home. This is, this is going to be our new life. You know, we kind of, um, we kind of, you know, we're looking for kind of a change. So I ended up buying a house there. Um, I was teaching kindergarten there. I mean, to me, it was like Mayberry. Yeah. It was this sweet, wonderful, just, just, again, like quaint town. And there were a few people along the way that would kind of say things to me like, you know, it, it, it's great until you kind of tick somebody off or it's great. And I kind of thought, oh, these people are like jaded and, 
you know, they had like really whatever things go on with them. And the, the first year I taught, the principal there, whenever I was going to buy the house, she called me into her office. And she was one of the individuals that actually testified for me at the trial. And she said, Tanya, I'm not going to be here next year. I want you to go with me and, and offered me a job where she was going, which goodness knows I should have taken it. But, um, and she said, don't buy a house here. I know it seems wonderful and I know it seems great. And I know it seemed, you know, and all those things. And, and I really appreciated that, but I just kind of felt like, again, maybe she was just kind of, you know, had a bad experience. And so I said, thank you so much. And she was wonderful and I bought the house. And I kind of um, went along the next year or two. My kids went to school there. I became very invested in the community. The, the parents and I became really good friends because our kids were friends and all those different things. And um, I'd been there. It was the end of my third year teaching. And it was the end of the school year. And my, my kids and I were going to go to the swimming pool. And my son had a friend that came over because I was keeping him because his mom would work. And so he would, he would play with my son. And honestly, you know, us that have kids know that sometimes it's easier if they have friends that play with them, right? <laughs> so they come to me and they say, there's somebody at the front door. And I'm thinking, I mean, my honestly first thought was, I'm just glad they didn't open the door without telling me, you know, so I was proud of that. So I came to the door and there were these two detectives there. And one of the detectives I knew him because his daughter had gone or went to the school that I taught at. So I saw him up there all the time and he acted like he didn't know me. And he was like, and they were kind of acting like they didn't know me. And, Oh, you know, are you a teacher? And they started asking like these really kind of weird, vague questions. And I was like, yeah. And so I'd close the door, the kids, like, you know, you have the little door with the, with the um, windows and at this time, my daughter had just finished her kindergarten year and my son had finished his second grade year. So that's how old they were. And they're looking out the little window and these people, the detectives had on suits that they had guns and badges. So at then at one point, they kind of started saying, well, you know, we need to talk to you and you know, you've done these really bad things. And all of a sudden it goes from, we don't really know who you are to, well, you're a child molester you molested these kids and you're, and I'm kind of like, I'm sitting there like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like what? And yeah. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. And at that point, I'm kind of trying to figure there were, which we, if we, if I talked about this, it would go, you know, eight hours and we'll have that. Yeah. There's some backstory and it's in the book whatever. But yeah, that's okay. um, yeah so there was a bit, there were some disgruntled parents and some things that had, you know, it happened and I was like confused, but then I was like, what, you know, what is going on here? And so at that point they said, well, you come down and talk to us. Um, you know, you need to come down here and clear this up. And I just said, because my, my children that weekend, it was a Friday and my children were supposed to go with their dad. It was a, it was his weekend. So I said, you know, let me get my kids squared away and I'll, you know, I'll call you, I'll figure this out. So, you know, they left and it ended up that day was just um, a day of back and forth. They came back, they called, they brought um, DFACS, which is like child protective services and all that stuff. And um, 
you know, then, then they, um, you know, we're saying that, you know, you molested these kids and, and we just need to talk to you. Well, the interesting thing is the second I said, okay. And honestly, you know, I think it's a God thing or I think it's law and order or both. <laughs> it was, it was God and law and order put together. <laughs> because I, and, and they started, you know, saying, well, you know, you've done this and you've done that. And I said, it sounds to me like, you know, I'll talk to you, but I need like an attorney to represent me. And so then they started the whole, well, if you need a lawyer, then you're guilty and you obviously did something wrong and you've done this. And I said, and you're not being cooperative. And I said, no, I'll be cooperative, but I did nothing wrong. Right. You know, but, 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 you know this, this is the that. beginning of what was it? Three years. How long was this court? It, from the time that happened until the trial, it was basically two years. Two years. Okay. So if I can pause right there and just say, Casey, when they approached you, you had something to hide. But when they approached Tanya, <laughs> she didn't have anything to hide and she didn't know what they were talking about. Um, anyway, that had to be one of the worst days of your life, uh, you know, realizing you're about to embark on this, this strange journey. I can only liken it to like Alice in Wonderland or something where you feel like you've been inserted into crazy town and uh, now you have to defend yourself and you're not even sure what's happened. Um, well, kind of initially, I never thought I would have to really defend myself because I didn't do anything wrong. So I still had that right. mindset of it's all going to get worked out because I did not do anything. So, but I also for, and I totally do attribute it to God because I work on cases now as an attorney. And the one thing that we have to deal with is these wonderful people I work with that I totally believe are innocent because I only work with people that are, that I believe are innocent and they go talk to the police because they have nothing to hide and they didn't do anything wrong and they really didn't. But then they make hor horrible statements. We have to like, it's like, Oh, why did you say that? So I don't know why I was so hesitant to go talk to them. I think one of the things was, just the fact that one of the detectives, I knew that he knew me and he was being so, for lack of a better term, shady. And so that kind of put up my guard. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit because it gets really interesting in how you respond to what starts to happen to you. Uh, one of your worst nightmares comes true and they separate you from your children. Correct. I mean, they're taken away, which to any parent would be absolutely painful. Um, your parents end up giving you money to defend yourself. Uh, let's let's talk about the first set of attorneys or the first local attorney you had, and and the job he was doing or not doing, and what that did to you at that time. Well, obviously, initially when the detective showed up, I called the only attorney I knew locally, which was because we had, my, my husband and I had hired him to help a friend of ours with something because she was having a really difficult time. So I just called him because I didn't know anybody else. Suppose, you know, and, and I'm sure maybe he, he's deceased now and he's yeah. passed away and we have a good relationship. We had a good relationship. Yeah. But, yeah. But he, he was a nice guy, but um, <clears throat> he was not the guy for me. So I just called him and said, what, you know, what, oh my gosh, like these detectives showed up, what do I do? And so we were trying to have these conversations and um, I just learned really quickly that, um, like I said, this, this town is this little one red light, tiny little town. And, you know, I hate to put it this way, but it was like a, um, 
good old boy system. So this attorney that I had hired, you know, was gung ho at the beginning. And the more people, like I made a timeline and the more people that I had kind of intertwined in this timeline, I think he was like, oh no, what have I gotten myself into? So then he went from, cause I told him I would never take a plea. I said, I will never, I did nothing wrong. I'll die in prison. I never, I will not take a plea. And he was all about that. Well, then all of a sudden things started to unfold and I learned things about the legal system. Like, you know, one of the things that I'm very intrigued by, which is one of the things that I'm going to work on for the rest of my life <laughs> is if you, like in most states, I love to work on cases in Florida because you can do depositions in criminal cases in Florida. Most other states you can't. So one thing that I learned is, you know, if, I, if I'm in Tennessee or Georgia or most other states and you have a neighbor that has a tree that falls on your fence, you can depose 25 people. But if you're facing the rest of your life in prison, you don't have a right to. Oh. So I was shocked and I'm thinking, you know, what do we do? So they had called me in as far as the school system and asked me to resign. And I said, no, I didn't do anything wrong. So they said, well, then we're going to have a public hearing. It's going to be embarrassing and all this. And, and so I kind of was learning how, well, at least at the public hearing, we could get people on the stand. We could ask them questions. So it, if, if we can't depose them, we can, you know, get some information. And I was going to fight it because I didn't do anything wrong. Well, the more I did things like that, the more this attorney, like, really, hold, hold on a minute. And at one point, he actually said, he said, well, how's it going to look? you know, because I was a teacher. He goes, well, how's it going to look if you were terminated? And I said, oh, I don't know. If I'm, you know, spending the rest of my life in prison, do you think they're really going to care if I was terminated? Because, <laughs> you know, he was basically trying to talk me out of going to the termination hearing. And I said, no. So the, 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 the point that I realized that he was not the attorney for me was when he came in after I had been very blunt. And he said, you know, I've talked to them and you really need to consider a plea. And I said, I told you, not going to take a plea. So in my mind, I knew that he had to go. But logistically, I knew that I needed to get the right attorneys in place before I released him because I just was concerned about if I ha didn't have attorneys for a certain time period, you know, what would go on. So at that point, um, I fired him, hired new attorneys. Some people from our community called my parents and said, Tanya's lost her mind and she's having a nervous breakdown because she's fired the best attorney in town. Yeah. And um, they really felt like that I was, you know, maybe so, not so being. So at that fired. point, you went to some guys in Atlanta, right? At that point, I went to Scott and Carrie in Atlanta, yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. And so they came in, and the benefit there is that these guys are from out of town. They're still in Georgia, so they know Georgia law, but they're not from this small town. And was it a was it a breath of fresh air for you? Or were they helpful? It was it was totally a breath of fresh air for me. Now I got a lot of grief, you know, obviously locally, locally and everything. Yeah. And they and you know, and everybody was like, Well, you need somebody that that knows these people. And I just saw how I hate to use this term, but incestual all the relationships were. And so I knew that I needed somebody away from there. So yeah. I think it made them for a minute, stand up and pay attention, but you know, as far as the, the adversarial parties, but I don't think they paid a lot of attention. I just knew that I needed that as far as, you know, fighting for my life. Right. And you, you know, when, when I hear about stories like yours, um, you know, when, and there's that pitch of, you know, here's what the DA is offering, you know, here's the plea deal. I mean, 
when you're guilty, you consider that, you know, thoroughly. You 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 think about that because, and then you know that that question arises. Well, well, what if I don't take it and I take it to the box, meaning uh, I fight it? In, uh, in you know, jury comes along in the whole nine yards. What am I looking at if I lose? And you know, it's always enticing when you're guilty. Um, but in your case, I mean, you know, and, and you hear these horror stories of people that are actually, you know, I call them the one percenters because, uh, you know, <laughs> it really is a very small number uh, from being inside. Uh, it's a very small number, but they exist, uh, like in your case. And, and when, when you who are innocent, but thrown in prison, but yeah. thrown in prison yeah. and they don't take the, the, the uh, or they take the plea. Or they don't take the, but they're innocent, and they end up serving these horrendous life sentences, or you know, um, what we call a number with an L, meaning you know, thirty to life or whatever it is. And uh, it, it's shocking that at the end of that, you know, after they serve so 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 much time, uh, then they go through a process of, you know, uh, you know, now DNA solves a lot of that problem uh, in, in court cases, but you know that that's uh. I mean, the emotions, I could only imagine the emotion, the emotion, emotional roller coaster that you're going through in the beginning of this, especially if you know 100% that you've done nothing wrong. I mean, that, that's, what are you feeling at that point? Well, I'll say, see, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because with me, I was adamant. I did nothing wrong. And I told my attorneys, I will die in prison before I ever say I did anything. To, it's just, I mean, I love my two children, but my whole career, I mean, I had a bachelor's and a master's degree in education. I loved working with kids in an obviously healthy way. Mm, I mean, yeah. I they, you know, they totally tried to destroy all that. But, you know, on the other hand, I had a case that I consulted on before I had graduated in Florida. And this guy, I... We, we got a judgment of acquittal. I completely believe he's innocent 100%, but he was facing in Florida a life sentence, a life sentence, and he was 28 years old, and they offered him strict parole. I mean, their case fell apart. I mean, the child said it didn't happen on the like all this stuff, and they still were trying to offer him a plea of um, no jail time, and, you know, obviously he'd be on the registry and all this different stuff, and and, 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 you know, he's, he's young and, and he, I mean, you know, he was considering it because he's like, okay, but if I, if I, you know, roll the dice and I didn't do this, but I could have a die in prison, but they're offering me strict parole and no jail time. And, you know, and that it's such a, um, the one thing that I get frustrated with is, and I, and I interned when I was in law school at the DA's office in Chattanooga. So for two years, I worked in child sex crimes prosecuting cases. And the thing that I really appreciated about our DA's office is if, even if they felt like the person was guilty, but they didn't have the, the burden of proof or the standard they needed, then they would not go forward with the prosecution. And I don't see that a lot. I see where they don't care what they have or don't have. They're just gonna go ahead and take it forward, you know, and do what they need to do. So my stance from day one with my attorneys, I mean, my attorneys knew that if they said anything about a plea, I would probably say things and do things they did not want me to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so 
this is what you get to know about Tanya throughout her story is that you're right, Casey, her emotions were all over the map, but she has a strong spine. And I think this is what drove her through it to survive was there was no way she was going to admit to something that she hadn't done. And so one of the things that's pointed out in the book as you follow her journey is the lengths she goes to. To uh, to find the right people to be on her team. So let's let's move on, Tanya. Your your, your trials moving forward. Uh, they've deposed the psychologists who have interviewed the kids. You've got, I mean, there's there's just stuff stacking up on on both sides. At what point did you realize you needed to really track down an expert in this area? Well, you know, as um, one of the things that like my master's degree is a literacy specialist but it's in research so i really that's kind of my thing so i started to research all this and so i started i think one of the things that made me fight the most and when i work with clients now with my clients the ones that are the most difficult to deal with are the ones that think that their case is unique because what made me fight is when i saw and as far as you know if it's false accusation, only false. And there are, I think, I think personally, if anybody did anything to any child, they need to go to prison for the rest of their life and rot there and I'll help put them there. But these, I mean, I will, but these false accusations, you know, it's become a, a divorce strategy. It's become a, you know, you get mad at a teacher that didn't let you, you know, you didn't make the, the yeah. softball team. And, you know, it's become this thing that's out of control because, because people know that, you can accuse somebody of murder. You can accuse somebody of even child abuse. But when you say child sex abuse, people don't think rationally. So, so it's one of those things where, you know, you have to kind of research and figure out what's going on. So my thing was, is I thought that my case was very obvious. But then I also thought maybe I'm not the, the, obviously the right person to look at it because I'm so emotionally involved. So then I started to, to research people and to see, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person or that person to see if maybe I'm, maybe I'm not seeing it. Maybe it looks more, you know, obvious than I'm, I'm realizing. So I actually researched, I went to Atlanta, walked into a um, detective's office that was, had worked in child sex crimes for 20 years and said, well, in fact, whenever I first talked to him, I said, you know, Hey, I want to show you this case. Here's a situation by the end of it, because I didn't, I never wanted to go into anybody and say, I'm innocent. I didn't do this and I want to prove it. I wanted to say, you, you decide, you know, you look at the information and decide because I want to make sure that I'm being objective. So even the guy down in Atlanta, he said, well, like, who did you tick off? I mean, that, that was what he said. And um, so I actually got on a plane and flew to California. And I'm, I, I walked into the, he was the attorney general at that time, John Vandekamp. And I had learned, I mean, I had watched a documentary that he was on. And so I went into this big, huge building and here's all these like law enforcement. Is that who the guy in Atlanta recommended you go see? No, no. That, I watched, I watched a documentary with that. Okay. That, I, yeah, I watched it. I watched a documentary and I had, okay. well, I had researched and he had actually ensued an investigation into the Bakersfield case and the McMartin case. And so he had gotten those overturned. So I wanted to go ask him what, what information did he see that made him say, Hey, hold on a minute. 
So I walk in and there's all these, you know, you can't go up because all the security and, and they said, well, what do you want? And I was like, I want to see, you know, Mr. Vandy Camp. They're like, well, you don't just get to see like the attorney general. And I said, well, okay. But, and I had, and I always like had a little necklace with a picture of my kids. And I said, well, you know, I came from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, and, and I just, you know, I just want to talk to him for 15 minutes because I'm here fighting for my kids. And they were like, hold on a minute. So they called, I guess his secretary or whatever it was. And so, so she called me and anyway, fast forward. So the next day I came back and I had a three hour meeting with, with, the attorney general then, which he's passed away since then. And he actually wrote an excerpt for my book. Like he's one of the people that wrote a little, you know, thing for endorsement. My book. Yeah. So, um, so I just went in and I said, you know, I'm not telling you I'm guilty or I'm innocent. I just want you to look at this and tell me what you think. And he, he said, I sat there for like an hour, I think. And he read it and he, you know, I don't know if you can use language. He said, who did you piss off? That's what he asked me. And I said, well, it, he said, this sounds like a witch hunt, which it, it really was, but, but I couldn't be the one. I wanted to make sure that I was being objective. So anyway, he actually helped me. And then he told me, so the media stuff, because whenever this first happened, you know, it was this, because I mean, I was like a, a soccer mom, a teacher. A, a, so I was all over the news. As soon as the arrest, I was all over the news. And then, you know, um, the judge that ended up being the judge, the DA, like they were, you know, they had all these political aspirations. And so, you know, I was very, they, they were putting me in the media. So um, I wanted to go speak to the media. And of course, my attorneys were like, oh my gosh, you know, no. And so, the, you know, the AG out in California, he said, well, I'll tell you one thing. He said, they hate the media. They hate it. So if you go jump up and down, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go jump up and down. <laughs> so I go, <laughs> so I, and I, I go back and I try to talk to people. And of course, when, I mean, you're charged with, you know, 22, you, you, I, I had 22 indictment, 22 counts in indictment and child molestation, most aggravated. I mean, who wanted to talk to me? Nobody. No. So then I got on a plane and I flew to New York. And I was like, well, I'm going to go try to talk to ABC and NBC and Robin Roberts and all these people. And, um, okay, and, then, and, and how many of them did you actually know? Did I know then? Zero. No. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, no, I, I actually flew because I had a, I actually flew into New Jersey because I actually, I had gotten phone records also, which I love phone records. So I had some, um, I did like a spreadsheet of these phone records of all these people. So there was a phone number that was really interesting to me as far as dates and times and things in New Jersey. So I went up there to meet with them. So I called my husband and I was like, well, how far is New York from here? So he said, well, you see those buildings over there? So I said, okay, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to go try to, you know, talk to somebody and, you know, on Good Morning America. And he's like, okay, yeah, good, good luck with that. So um, I actually got on a train by myself at three o'clock in the morning in New York, went to, I mean, New Jersey, went to New York. And you know how they have the little um, thing outside where you can hold up a sign and they come and talk to you. And I had... I had a friend that had a, um, a website for me called Truth for Tanya. So I had business cards that had all the information so I could just hand it. Because I also knew if somebody doesn't talk to you, then just have something to give them, you know, as far as information. So I, I, I 
go over there at three o'clock in the morning. I'm waiting on this little thing. They say that, you know, it's not going to come out because it's too cold. And so I'm like, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? So I walk over to the door and I knock on it for good morning America. And this little guy comes out and he's like, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, why are they not having this little thing out here? And he said it was too cold. And so I had my little picture and I said, well, I'm fighting for my children. I really just want to like, just put this card in the hands of Robin Roberts. And then he said, just get in line, act like you, you know, know everybody. And then I'll let you in. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so fast forward, like, so like three hours later, I'm in the studio and I have this sign that I made that said M-O-M. So it, is, so it said mother on a mission. So on a break, Robin Roberts actually came over to me oh. and said, what does mother on a mission mean? So I said, please, you know, here's the card. Here's my contact info. Give me 15 minutes of your time. That's all I want. I'm fighting for my children, da, 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 whatever. So I didn't hear from her again. So, and, 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 and we'll get into the trial, but fast forward after the verdict and all the media got involved and the national media was crazy, but the local NBC affiliate had been the first person to talk to me. So I had told her I would, yeah, you know, yeah. go on the Today Show. So when you were in New York, did you go by any other shows or how did that end up? No, I mean, with that one, that, because I was actually up there for the going to that person in New Jersey. So I actually kind of just hopped over there to Good Morning America and then hopped back. And the person that I went um, to meet with in New Jersey that had some interesting ties, phone records wise with my ex-husband and, and somebody else in the case, that was actually brought up in court because I reported that conversation and I, and I, re I researched that it was a one party state so that I could record it because California is not. So you have to, you know, California is not party state. So, so I had reported it because they, they basically tried to say with the person I went and spoke with in New Jersey, they tried to say that I had threatened her life and that she had threatened to call the police and said that I was, that, that I was, like she was scared for her life. And I said, uh, no. And then I had recorded it and that was a you know, big deal at trial, but yeah, they were the only ones I tried to then. Okay. So let's, let's recount what you did here. You flew to California to meet with the attorney general and waited in his lobby until he would meet with you. And he did meet with you <laughs> the, the next day for three hours. For three hours. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and he also confirmed what you knew was the truth. So you were empowered by that. And he said, get the media involved. So you say, okay, fly directly to New York City. Let's go get the media involved. Um, so I want to get to the point where you hire Demosthenes. Uh, talk to us about how you, you came across his name and, and why you chose him. Well, the, one of the things that I had learned when I was researching was that I needed a, an expert to explain or educate the jury on, okay, I can get up there and say, I did, you know, I did not do anything wrong. Right. And we can have character witnesses that say, Tanya's, you know, whatever, da, da, da. But how do you cl clinically explain why children say this if it's not true? So I started to research experts that could testify like from a you know psychological standpoint. So I had found him and I thought honestly that I was going to just hire him as an expert to testify at the trial. So I'd found him, he didn't return any of my phone calls. 
So I called my mom and I was like, okay, we're going to Michigan. We're going to get the car and I'm going to go up there and I'm not leaving until, because I had watched him, you know, on YouTube and different things and realized that he was a very effective and very knowledgeable expert. So we go up there. Well, when I went up there, they were like, first of all, they were like, well, he doesn't just meet with people. And I did the whole, you know, I came here from Chattanooga and all that. So I, so anyway, I got, I got in with him. And then I realized that he was an attorney as well. So then by the time I left there, you know, it's one of the things that I've always described because I was very criticized at my trial. Um, they compared me to OJ. They basically tried to say that I was buying my way out of something that, you know, and I said, you know, it's like this. I said, you know, my child has a brain tumor and I need a brain surgeon. And in order to save my child's life, I'm going to put together the best team I can have. And, you know, even though Carrie and Scott are really good at what they do, Doc is the expert in this area. And so, so I brought him in and I had to tell my attorneys he's in charge. And then that, that was kind of a, kind of a difficult thing too, because I had one of them that was going to quit and I had, you know, they were all acting, whatever. So one day, um, and I won't, for the sake of this podcast, I won't, you know, use the language I use, but you know, one day we're all having this discussion and I'm in, I'm, I'm the female and there's like there, you know, there are like eight males around and we're having this discussion, you know, and finally I just kind of slammed my hands down and I said, listen, you know, here's the deal. This is a company. I'm the CEO and I listen to you, but you work for me. So this is how it's going to be. And I said, you know, I mean, so at that point they needed to know that doc was in charge as far as the lead attorney and this is how it's going to be. And if you don't like it, there's a door and you know, everybody, you know, put their, yeah. said, their big boy underwear on. And they're well, okay. Casey had a similar policy back in the day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. His his door was locked. So there was no door was locked <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yeah. No, but that I mean that's that's awesome. Uh, and, and you had to do that for the sake of your family. You know, everybody, put your egos aside. Let's do this to win this. Uh, and he's this guy, Doc Demosthenes. Uh, what's his last name? Well, his name is Demosthenes Lorandos. Lorandos, so very Greek, a Greek guy. <laughs> very, very arrogant. And I will say nothing here that I have not said to his face. Okay. Um, he's wonderful. And, and at one point, I said, listen, because he and I have different faith beliefs, but I said, um, I believe in God, but you're not him. So <laughs> I'm in charge. And... And I think he was not used to it because people, because he is so smart that he wasn't used to people kind of challenging him. But, but fast forward, we've written several um, articles together. We work together on cases. I mean, now we work together at a professional level, but I was not going to put up with, you know, as good as he was, everybody is replaceable. So yeah. do not think that, that you're going to back me into a corner and say, you know, basically, because a lot of attorneys do that you know, hush, don't say anything. And it was my life. So I, I felt like, you know, I'm, I, I could ask the questions and I could, you know, I, I, I needed to listen to their legal guidance, but ultimately the decision was mine. Now, at some point in the book, you described how he operated in the courtroom and, and that it was very impressive. 
can you talk well, a little bit about, about that? Four personalities. So yeah, <laughs> I, okay. I, I said he has about four personalities. I teased him one day and I said, well, I'm not paying you like four salaries because the different personalities you have. Um, <laughs> well, whenever my attorneys and my um, investigator, and that's a whole nother story because they arrested my private investigator and threatened him and all this stuff. But um, whenever all these people met Doc, we'll call him that because that's what we called him. He's very um, abrasive. He's very, and they were like, Tanya, you're going to go to prison. Like this is a North Georgia Southern, they're going to hate him. Like they're, and I, I mean, I had literally, if I had, let's just do a percentage. I'm not good at numbers, but let's say there were a hundred people that came to me. 98 of them told me, if you hire him, you're going to go to prison. So I was in this absolutely like emotional turmoil and I'm having to make these rational decisions that again, it, it was God. It was not me because I don't know how I made him. I look back now and I don't know how I made him, but I said, no, he is the person that needs to do what he needs to do. And he, he related, he, he's very, he is genuine in there. He wasn't, I'm not trying to say he was disingenuous. He just, um, you know, he just couldn't be so abrasive in there. And he, he, he's a, he, well, he's a PhD psychologist, a child psychologist and an attorney. So he could incorporate, you know, both of those careers into what he did and he did it very well. And Although personally, he and I believe very differently, I respect yeah. him professionally. But he had a job to do and, and he did it well. Did it well. So, uh, again, folks, you can find this book. It's called Accused. The title is Accused. It's by Tanya Craft. It's available on Amazon. It's an audio book also. Uh, you can find it on Audible. Uh, and wherever fine books are sold, probably right next to where you can find a copy of The Shot Caller. But, uh, <laughs> So Tanya, if if we can just sort of fast forward because literally today is a great day for you. It is. Uh, can you explain to our listeners why this is today? By the way, is May the eleventh, twenty twenty. Why is this an important day? Well, this year is super great for many reasons. You know, as far as my daughter turned eighteen, my son turns twenty one, my daughter's graduating high school. But today is exactly 10 years from the verdict. So I actually watched it earlier. Like my girls, I walked into my office today and my office manager had bought everybody in the office t-shirts that said not guilty 22 because there were 22 counts. And they were jumping up and down and stuff. And um, it's kind of interesting because typically like I get interviewed every single year and all this different stuff. And it's kind of nice because it's a little you know, kind of quiet this year as far as that goes. And, um, but today is 10 years from the verdict. And at this point, it, the verdict came down at about 4.45 PM Eastern time, 10 years ago. And I mean, honestly, that was not the best day of my life. It was the beginning of the best day because at that point I still didn't have my kids. So it was kind of, you know, the beginning of the journey as far as getting my kids. But um, if, if, and my jurors, like the jurors on my case, um, they've reached out to me since then and I've met with them and we've had great conversations. You know, some of them came to my graduation and all that stuff. So, so it's, it's, 
and, and it's got to be like um it's got to be just you know i've sat in, in a in a trial and when you're waiting for that foreman that 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 main juror to read what these 12 individuals have decided it's nerve-wracking i mean i don't know i don't know how to explain it you uh, you know i don't wish this upon anybody but your life is in their hands pretty much i mean you know that this and you don't know what they're you know some people say well the the, the faster they come back and deliberate uh the worse for for the defendant um and then some other people go well the longer they take you know <laughs> you know so everybody has these ideas but you're sitting there and first of all i want to say thank you for giving us that interview on your 10th year uh, anniversary that's uh that's pretty cool of you I, and I think it's a God thing too, because uh, I love how God just does stuff like this. I don't think it was a coincidence at all. You know, um, uh, we, we talked about it with Joel and, uh, and, um, and then he calls me and he says, uh, by the way, uh, you know, did you see her email? And I read the email and uh, then you shared with us that this was going to be your 10th anniversary. I'm just going, wow, this, this is, uh, this is obviously God has something to do with this. But you're sitting there, and how is that feeling for you personally? I mean, you know that, number one, you know that you're innocent. You know that. God knows that. But you're still sitting in that chair, you know, or, or, you know, that, or they're asking you, you know, to rise, and you're standing there, and you're waiting for that. What does that feel like to you? What was that moment like? Well, for me... I will say, um, I, again, you know, I said I had researched a bunch of stuff and things, and um, I had seen different cases where there were um, just just unusual unusual circumstances, unusual allegations, and people still got convicted. So I actually had prepared to be convicted because I felt like that when you have kids you know, and, and and honestly, this is one of the things, some people ask me the question of how did you feel, you know, when you won and they'll say you were a victim, you know, you're the victim. And although, yes, I was victimized, I think the children were too. It, it was just by the system. And yeah. I don't think there were any winners in my thing. You know, I, I didn't win. It was, it was horrible for everybody. So, you know, it, it was this terrible I'll say this. So when the verdict, um, I, I had gotten um, after researching, and honestly, I did everything that I could have done. And even the night I testified at my trial, and I was the last one to testify, the night before I was going to testify, my attorneys came in and said, oh, it's going so good. You don't need to testify. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, <laughs> I'm testifying. And so they actually made me sign something that said that they weren't responsible if I got convicted because I testified. And I'm like, no, I'm going, because I knew that I could not live with it because I did nothing wrong. Now I knew they were going to rake me over the coals. I was on the stand for two days. I knew it was going to be, you know, a mess, but I couldn't live myself, you know, if I didn't. But once it got sent to the jury, there's nothing to do. There's no more flying somewhere to meet with somebody. There's nothing I can do. You're waiting for a piece of paper. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. So I actually didn't tell anybody where I was going. 
I went and got a hotel room and I ordered what I wanted to eat. I watched what I wanted to on TV because I felt like I was never going to be able to do that again. Um, the day of the verdict, so I, so I was at some friend's house um, and I was laying in the bed and somebody came and said, um, the verdict's in. So I got up, I put on um, white panties because they wouldn't let me have any undergarments that had an underwire. Like I put on the correct undergarments. I put on um, a jacket that was gonna be warm because I felt like I'd be cold when they took me back. I brushed my teeth because I was scared. You know, and I had a friend that came up to hug me and I was like, don't touch, like don't, because I had emotionally detached to try to get prepared for what was gonna happen. I mean, like in your mind, you're, you're thinking this is it. I'm, it's going to be guilty. And I don't know how long I'm going to be in there. I'm done. I'm I'm done. And I'd actually written both of my kids letters for somebody that could give it to them. They turned 18 years old. Um, I had gotten um, all of my documents onto um, external hard drives and put them to take to an appellate attorney because I mean, I just, I'd seen, when you have these accusations that you, you know, I'd seen what happens. Um, so we were, we're, we're driving to the, uh, to the courthouse and it was two of my attorneys were at the courthouse and my husband and doc and Carrie were in the car with me, another attorney. And, you know, it, it, one of my friends tried to hug me before I left and I'm like, don't touch me. Um, and then Carrie's trying to have small talk and I'm like, just, you know, don't talk. And we got to the courthouse cause it had been so big. There were people, I mean, there were thousands of people everywhere. Like they couldn't even have people driving on the streets cause people were running around and doing all this. And, and they had, um, you had to have an ID to get in to even see the verdict. So we go in there and I, and I actually watched it today. Like the whole verdict, like the whole 22 counts. And that's the other thing is people, you know, they can get, you know, they can, they can get arrested. They can have, you know, an, an indictment and they can have 10 indictments and they can be found not guilty on nine and guilty on the 10th one. So That's I right. knew. So when people watch me like, the, like the, because they had the camera. So I have the whole trial on, on film. And again, the trial and when I've been on all these shows, whether it be Larry King or I've never watched it. Cause I think I've, sound really country <laughs> I don't I, but I haven't watched any of it so um so when you see me from behind you know this and, and here's the thing too like the the foreman does not read the verdict in this place there's this guy that reads it and he has this booming like godlike voice like it's this very oh, wow. so I mean it's very very it's white magical, very and so he reads it and when he says count number one not guilty nobody in the courtroom could say anything because they said that because they told them they'd be arrested if they had any kind of reaction well no. you can hear from outside the courtroom people cheering and clapping and then of course they had to go and when you get to count 21 you see me kind of go down a little bit then count 22 i just I almost passed out and so my attorney kind of you know held me and even watching that today like you know, I mean, I talked to my husband earlier and it's weird because it's like, it was so long ago, but when I watched that, it was like in the moment, you know, it was like, you're there and you're, you're sitting there and here you look at these people and they are 
deciding the rest of your life. I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible, you know, and, and I love these shows. I love reality TV and I love all that, but when they do all this and the jury decides, I'm like, you don't even know what a jury's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, what it's like when they were, you know, so. Yeah. And you know, you know, for our listeners out there, I mean, you know, when you're sitting there and these counts are being read, um, the one crime that you that you do not ever want to go in there for is that. I mean, that is even in the, and I don't know how it is in, from state to state in penitentiaries or in the prison systems, but I know here in California, um, you know, when someone that has been um, charged with that, uh, with, with child molestation, or any sex crime, I mean, the chances of you even making it to court are slim to none because your life becomes, it's a target. From the second that you walk in there, from, from R&R, from receiving and releasing, from that point, once someone finds out that that's, those are the charges that you're facing in California, um, you're, you're ordered the gangs there are ordered to kill that person before the arraignment. That's just how it is uh, in California. And so, and it is like that in many of the prisons here in America. So, I mean, you're sitting there. I, I, I don't even know, how, like, I don't know how you didn't collapse midway, you know? Uh, and, and like you said, um, you know, sometimes there, and this is very true, you can be found innocent uh, or not guilty in several charges. And then all it takes is, one or two, and that's it. It's a wrap. Um, those are some serious charges, but wow! I mean, that that's uh, um, now I now I now I have to look for that that footage because I'm intrigued. But um, wow! Um, and what? So what do you do right after? That I researched that too. So I had researched what they do to people that had been. So that was. Oh. I mean, one of the things, self-torture. It was. It was well. That I'm kind of one of those people that I would rather know. Okay. When I stood up, it was it was so ironic, not ironic, but you know, you know, whenever you talk to your kids or when you talk to people and you say, Well, I've got this door to go out or this door or this road to go now or this road. Well, when I stood up for the verdict, they've literally told me, if you get acquitted, you leave out this door. If you get convicted, you got go out this door. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow. you know, this means freedom and this means life in prison. But with his, and it was terrible and I was distraught, but one of the things that did at least bring me a little bit of like, like why I was able to not do, you know, something crazy or go drive off a bridge for, you know, honestly, is I knew that whichever door I went out of, that God would be with me whichever way I went. Yeah. That's a great point. Talk to us a little bit about how you felt God worked in your life. I mean, you did a lot of hard work along the way to make sure you had all the right people on your team defending you. Um, and yet, you know, you did all the hard work up to the point of the verdict. You did all that you could. Um, can you reflect any on how God worked in your life at that moment in time during the acquittal? You mean, it's, I mean, I mean, I can't, I mean, he was there from the day the detective showed up at my house. Yeah. And so, I mean, cause I truly believe there were so many irrational decisions that people thought I made 
but I totally know that it was, it was, I mean, that, that God helped me make those decisions. And I also believe that I wanted a team that I could hire and then I could just come home and fall apart and not do anything, but that just didn't happen. And so I had to navigate these waters and I had to yeah. research and I had to, but it's, it's equipped me to do what I'm doing today. It's equipped yeah. me to work on cases and to be an attorney and to do the things that I truly would not be able to do if I had not had to help, you know, navigate those waters on my own, which yeah. in the moment I really wasn't happy about doing that. But now, you know, I understand, you know, what, yeah. what I understand what he was doing. I wish you would have just given me like a, you know, this is why I'm doing this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in the Bible, the, the devil's called the accuser of the brethren, and whether that accusation is true or not, he doesn't care. He's just throwing them out there to see what sticks, right? Um, so, you know, another great move that you did was uh, talking to the media and to bring some outside attention onto this, and I think that also built a lot of support for you. I think there were people who didn't live in that area, in much, much, much of America, um, they were rooting for you uh, because the the odds of that actually being true were very very slim. So and, you know, there's people online who wrote articles in your favor, and so I think you you built up a pretty good coalition. Um, so if we can tell me why you in the subsequent years commuted to Nashville, Tennessee, for so many years, because <laughs> when I met you, that's what your life was like. Uh, a decade ago or, or eight years ago, or however long that was. What, what were you doing up in Nashville after the trial was over? Well, um, I was going to law school. So, so, sorry. So the funny thing is, is whenever the detective showed up at my house, I was debating on either getting my PhD or going to law school back then. So, so that's the thing is it's not like law school is this new thing sure. because of this. Like I was already contemplating that. So obviously God, you know, got a two by four and smacked me in the head and said, we'll go to law school. So, um, so after this, um, I ended up taking, you know, taking the exam and getting into law school. So I commuted to Nashville and I wanted to go there because I could go at night and I could still be a part of my children's lives. I could still go to their school functions. I was on parent council and could do those different things, but I would, for four years, I would drive up there. I would get home at three o'clock in the morning, wake up at six, take them to school. It, it was very, very, I was tired for four years. It was very, very, very I difficult. I know, I know. You go from one hard thing to the next. So I just wanted to commend you for that. And, and so our listeners would understand that you not only paid a price in a negative sense to defend your life and, and keep your family together and stay out of prison, but you also paid a price to do something positive for yourself and build a career in a new direction, which brings us to today. Uh, tell us about your, your new practice and you've, hint, you've hinted at it already, but uh, what is your practice all about today? Well, today I have a practice where it, it's based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, but for the most part, I have a national practice where I um, help, I defend and help represent individuals that are falsely accused of child molestation. I have a case in Los Angeles actually right now that I'm working on. So, <laughs> so but, um, so I've worked in a lot of different States. Um, I put people through a very rigorous, um, I make them get, um, 
uh, polygraph exams, psychosexual exams. And I'll, I'll say this, even though, you know, I have to have the, the, the monetary part of keeping my business afloat and I have great, you know, a great staff and things, yeah. um, I turn more people away than I do accept. And yeah. I've looked at people before and said, you're guilty and you did something to a child and I hope you go to prison for the rest of your life and I'm not going to help you. Yeah. And yeah. I, th I think it's great. Like my, some, sometimes my, my girls are like, okay, somebody's going to come back and kill us one day, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it, I mean, I think it, people that did do things, you know, they, they need to be represented. And, and I, I totally understand that. But I have a very specific niche in what I do where, um, you know, there, there are a few civil cases that I'm working on where it's a custody thing. And I'm working with the dads because I totally believe that they're completely innocent and there's no criminal charges. It's just, you know, this okay, so divorce battle. It's and the wife says, yeah, he hit the kids. That's so, terrible. Yeah. So I really focus what I do on that. Um, yeah. I do a lot of speaking and I do, you know, a, 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 and I do mediation in divorce cases where there's custody situations. And, and, you know, having said that my ex-husband and I, who, um, he testified against me and did, very not good things and made bad choices and said horrible things, but we all go eat dinner together now and I go eat lunch with him and we, wow. Um, I, because, you know, I don't respect, and I've told him this, I don't respect what he did, but I respect that he's the father of my children and I care about him in that role. And I, I can't, I have to do that for my kids and I can't. Yeah. I mean, that's the other part of your story is the level of forgiveness that you're extending to him and to others. Uh, and you even were on the today show with Matt Lauer, right? Before he was let go um, with Joel with, and that's his name, but your ex-husband to, to prove that, you know, it's over, let's move on. We can be friends and, you know, still interact with one another. Yeah, and that's yeah. a high level of forgiveness, you know. We were on there, and I actually, my, well, I say I, but my attorneys kind of, but I mean, obviously I proved it, but we filed a $22 million lawsuit against all the families and against um, the, the state entities and things, and I eventually dropped that, and for two reasons. One is with the state entities, which I really feel like are responsible, they have that immunity of protection that's ridiculous. But with the families, you know, I felt like they had gone through enough and I wasn't going to put them through anymore. And I couldn't tell my kids that I forgave, you know, their father. And then I was, you know, suing him for everything he had. So I, I dropped the lawsuit against my ex-husband with prejudice. So it could never be, um, you know, refiled because that's how much my relationship with my kids meant. That meant more than any of the money or any of the you know, I, I didn't want to be angry and bitter. I wanted to do positive things and hopefully, you know, that's where I am. Yeah. You, you know, that, that, that just like struck me like a ton of bricks, the amount of forgiveness, you know, in my case, I was guilty of sin. Like, you know, whatever the judge would have gave, whatever the recommendation would have been, I would have been totally committed to that, whatever, you know, and, and I didn't care at that time. But to hear your story, and like Joel said, the level of forgiveness, that, that's like, that's a whole different, that, that's a whole different book like, that you can write just on forgiveness. 
because how many of us, you know, somebody owes us five bucks. We're, 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 you know, <laughs> we're up in arms um, and crying foul. And here, here you are. And someone was after your life, literally uh, to ruin it. You're a kindergarten teacher at that time. And they're pursuing you. They're pursuing you to, to just destroy your life and, and your name. And yet God guards you. But not only does he guard your, your, you know, your livelihood, your, your, but he guards your heart is what he did. And, and that's how, what I take from that. Like he guarded your heart from bitterness, from staying in that place of, you know, uh, that hateful place. Cause man, I, I know so many people that are carrying that bitterness and uh, of somebody that did them some, some wrong to them, you know, 10, 15 years later, you know, 30 years later, they, they can't let go of that. And um, it just takes a, a strong uh, person. Uh, you might not see yourself as that, but it, it also takes what it really takes is God putting something in your heart and then you obeying you know, his voice, his, his, his order to forgive. Um, I think that's just uh, super special about you. Um, and wow. I'm just, um, when, when, Oh, I don't even know. I'm like speechless, uh, Joel. I'm speechless at, at, at that kind of, um, you know, you know what I like about these podcasts is, is, you know, we interview people and I end up always learning something from someone that we're interviewing always. It, it just, I always go home and uh, I'll look at the footage and I'll listen to the podcast before we air it in the Honan Yards. And I always try to pick up on something because something always hits me. And, and it's just so, uh, it's a learning. It's a, it, it, like you just taught me something without you knowing. You just taught me something in, in my heart because, uh, you know, um, nobody's after my, well, <laughs> nobody's after my life. At least I don't know. Uh, but, you know, um, it's important. Forgiveness is a big part of our Christian walk of our faith. You know, uh, that, that when the Bible talks about, you know, uh, you know, the father forgiving us and because the father forgave us, we need to forgive others. <laughs> and you read that and, and you go, that's, that's difficult. That's, that's difficult sometimes. Um, but, but here you are and, and you did that. Um, that's just a very, very honorable to, to, to know you. Um, well, thank you. It, it's definitely not me. So I'll say that, but, but I'll say this, it's such a freeing feeling that you wish you could just give it to everybody. You know, you wish you could just, you know, just it's, it's the most, I, I always describe it like lifting the weight that's on your shoulders and giving it back to the yeah. person that, 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 yeah. Yeah. that yeah. you know, had the situation that, it, it does release it does the, the person that's doing the forgiving that, that really is for us because we release ourselves from walking around in in in, in that hate and 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 there's a list of things that are attached to to um you know harboring um that anger or, or whatever that that may be the, the unforgiveness right. what I, a story the lawsuit the more we delved into it, the angrier I, it's like I was taking all these steps backwards and I was getting so angry and bitter towards everybody that I knew I truly believe with everything in me. And I'm not saying there are not people that have a justifiable lawsuit that should do it. Yeah. But for me, 
if I had continued down that path, I would not be where I am here today. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I believe that. I believe that because you know, the, the more, like, like you just said, um, I like what you just said. The, it, the more you pursued it, the more angry you became because you start looking at the state of someone else's heart or, or the action that was taken against you. And, and that does, it's, it's almost like you're putting yourself in a, a pot of boiling oil and, and you know, just staying there in, in that, in that moment. Um, and then I'm, I'm pretty sure that once you let that go, it was a certain amount of freedom that you just can't purchase um, that comes along with, with, you know, you forgiving somebody. What a wonderful story, man, man. I'm so glad Joe that you uh, uh, brought the discussion up and, and we have a, uh, Tanya here. Um, and then what God has done with your life, right? From, from kindergarten teacher to attorney to, uh, I mean, just uh, author. Um, I don't think God's finished with you. I think God is just getting started because you're, you're, you're like just helping so many people along the way of like this experienced opened a whole new avenue, a whole new life. And here you are now helping those people that have been accused. Now, you know what I love? Joel, you know what I love, man? I love street shooters, man. I, I, from being with the hardest criminals in California, I love, one thing that I always loved about that, that, um, you know, that little group of people is that we didn't mince words. We, you know, we, we said it, you know, if, if we caught you in, in, in something that you shouldn't have been doing, we called you out and it was, that was it. You know, you were done. And uh, I like what you said, uh, you know, you have clients that, or potential clients that come up to you and you, and you straight up say, no, you, you're guilty. And I hope you, I hope you get it in court. <laughs> that is so, but Tanya, you're a shot caller. You are, you are a shot caller. <laughs> I love that. Joe, what a, what a great, great, uh, what a great, um, uh, the, did you, uh, you can't hear me, Joe? He may not can. Oh. Well, we, did we lose Joe? I can see him talking. Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I got muted. No, oh, I, no I agree with you, man. She's a, she's a true shot caller. And uh, <laughs> she's making good on her promise and helping other families and people around the country. So... Yeah. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today on the Shot Caller Podcast. And I think you've made a new friend in Casey. And the next time you're in Los Angeles, you two are going to have to sit down and have yeah. some lunch. Introduce yeah. me to us. They get along great. I'll, I'll be oh, there yeah. several times for the case I'm working on. But I appreciate it because that's one of the things that Joel knows about me is, you know, I, I don't try to be offensive, but I'm going to be yeah. honest, even if you don't like what I have to say. So. Yeah. And, that, and that's so needed in today's society. I'm just throwing out that for free, you know, <laughs> just, just be truthful and just write up, you know, straight up. Um, I think people appreciate that more than anything else. Uh, us dancing around, you know, uh, questions and stuff like that. Joel, man, dude, you rock, bro. I'm so glad that we got to meet uh, uh, Tanya here and uh, wow. I'm floored, man. Yeah, me too. All right. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Joe, before we leave, can you can we uh, rebrush on how we could get how the people get on their hands on her book? Yeah, you need absolutely. to hear the story, the whole story. 
Sure, yeah. The title is Accused, uh, and it, you can find it on Amazon.com. You can also get an audio book through Audible. Um, subtitle is My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive, which we've just covered, uh, the truth, the justice, and the strength that she's exhibited. So, yeah, please go buy the book, listen to the book, and who knows, maybe in the future there will be a, a movie or a documentary. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I can't wait for that, man. I, I, I know that's got to be in a, a ticket that everybody's going to want to uh, get their hands on. Tanya Kraft, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just the, uh, what an interview, what a great uh, success story, what uh, triumph, what it, I mean, I'm, this interview had me on the, on the edge of my seat. I'm so glad that you kept uh, listening to this podcast. Again, get her book, get her book, get her book now. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Tanya Craft people. And I, I, I really am. There you go. The shock collar book. <laughs> well, I'm going to order that tonight. So there you go. Uh, but you know, uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, look her up. Um, make sure that you're praying for Tanya Craft. Um, uh, let's, let's, um, let's pray for her. Let's make sure that, um, God continues to do amazing things around this uh, lady that just, uh, she's just a rock. She's a, uh, in the faith. Uh, just, uh, what a, what a rock and, uh, what a, a great personality and, and what God is doing with her life is just out of this world. So again, get her book. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, on the shock Holler podcast. Make sure that you subscribe Look it up, share it, um, and we are so honored uh, to have you as our listeners out there. Um, till the next one, have an awesome, awesome day, and God bless you guys. See you soon. You are listening to the Shot Collar Podcast with Casey Diaz and Joel Needler. You can find us online at uh, Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, uh, the Shot Collar Book on Instagram, and on Twitter, at the shot caller BK. That's at the shot caller BK. You can also find us at KCDS.net and send an email to info at KCDS.net. That's info at KCDS.net.